Hello, this is Ron Bickleman, and for the next hour, I'll be reading from the May 6th and 7th issue of the Wall Street Journal on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Hiring Wages, Buck Headwinds. April saw an increase of 253,000 jobs with unemployment of 3.4%, matching the low since 1969. Americans landed jobs, and their wages increased in April, showing the labor market remain resilient amid banking turmoil, rising interest rates, and high inflations. <clears throat> Employers added 253,000 jobs in April, the best gain since January, the Labor Department said Friday. Job growth was revised lower in February and March. <clears throat> the unemployment rate fell to 3.4% last month, matching the lowest reading since 1969. Low joblessness kept upward pressure on wages, which grew 4.4% in April from a year earlier, up from 4.3% annual increase in March. Average hourly wages rose a half percent from a month earlier. Over the past year, inflation hit historic highs. Economic growth, growth slowed. The Federal Reserve rapidly raised interest rates, and stress emerged in the banking sector. Many economists anticipated these challenges would trigger the labor market to crack. So far, it hasn't. The American labor market is simply unstoppable right now, said Joe Bruchelis, chief economist at RSM US LLP. <clears throat> Stocks climbed sharply after the jobs report with the Dow Jones Industrial Average adding nearly 550 points, or 1.65%. The Standard & Poor's 500 rose 1.9%, and the tech-heavy NASDAQ Composite was 2.3% higher. The yield on the 10-year Treasury note rose to 3.445 from 3.35%. Friday's data, <coughs> Friday's data did do little to clarify the outlook for the Fed policy, especially officials, <clears throat> because officials will have one more, one more employment report before their June 13th and 14th meeting, and because they are paying closer attention to the banking stress. Federal officials raised <clears throat> their benchmark uh, federal funds rate this past week to a range between 5 and 5.25 percent, from the highest level in 16 years to, show down, to slow down the economy and combat inflation. Chair Jerome Powell suggested that the central bank might pause rate rises after that to study the impact of its rapid increases over the past year and assess any fallout from failures of the three mid-sized banks since March. The strong report could, could complicate the Fed's deliberation and helps explain why officials think uh, if they do adjust any interest rate, the next move is, like, is more likely to be up than down. There were pockets of strength in the data, but the bar from resuming hikes is higher, is also higher now, said Derek Tang, economist at the forecasting firm L.H. Meyer. Delayed easing will be the new tightening. On Friday, investors saw just a 7% chance that the Fed would raise rates at its next meeting, and they see rising chances of a cut after that, according to CME Group. 
interest rates, futures markets imply 75% probability that the Fed will have cut rates below current levels by September. April's monthly payrolls increase was slightly below the average monthly gain of 290,000 over the prior six months. Employment in February and March was revised down by a total of 149,000. After mass layoffs in early 2020 during the pandemic lockdowns, hiring surged in the middle of that year. Job gains have moderated since, but have trended above the pace in the year before the pandemic began. Friday's report showed job gains in most industries, even ones in construction that are particularly sensitive to interest rate increases. Businesses in professional and business and business services, healthcare, and leisure and hospitality bulked up with workers in April. Temporary help agencies cut jobs. Goodhart Animal Health Center has hired front desk staff as well as veterinarians and nurses in recent months to meet the demand from pet owners bringing their dogs and cats in for checkups and surgery, said Alex Robb, medical director at one of Denver's locations. The pandemic spurred a rise in pet ownership. The center has increased wages to retain existing employees in an industry suffering from high levels of worker burnout, says Dr. Dr. Rob. You can't underpay folks and expect them to stay, he said. The hospital has raised pay an average of 10% in the past 16 months. Receptionists can now make between $18 and $20 an hour, and nursing staff between $21 and $25. Goodhart also raised prices last year, including for lab work, and surgical fees helping offset the higher labor costs. Annual wage growth has cooled from a recent peak of 5.9% in March of 2022, but it remains well above 2019 pay raises of roughly 3%. Employers in construction, leisure, and hospitality and mining posted among the fastest wage gains in April from a year earlier. Rising wages and low unemployment are fueling consumer spending, the economy's main driver. Consumers were a bright spot in the first quarter as broader economic growth cooled from late last year due to a slowdown in business investment and a weak housing market. The pandemic drove a huge wedge between supply and demand for workers. That has started to come into better balance in recent months with job openings falling and more workers entering the labor force. In April, 83.3% of Americans in their prime working years from 25 to 54 were employed or seeking jobs, the highest share since 20, uh, 2008. The influx of job seekers is helping restaurants, bars, and hotels snap up workers after they struggled with acute labor shortages for much of the pandemic. Pushed by renewed demand to travel and socialize, leisure and hospitality businesses added about 900,000 jobs over the past year, almost a quarter of all jobs gained. The strong labor market has delivered gains to workers who suffered from deep job losses three years ago. The unemployment rate for black Americans fell to 4.7% last month, the lowest on record dating back to 1972. The jobless rate for Hispanic workers declined to 4.4%, a historically low level. There are signs of softening momentum in the labor market. Some industries, including retail, finance, and manufacturing, have hired much more slowly than others over the past year and weaker demand. Demand for metal parts has slowed over the past 18 months at Birmingham, Alabama's manufacturer DSW Cutting. President 
Chris McElvain said, DSW makes parts used in tractors, lawnmowers, and electrical hardware. Weaker sales and production volumes mean less for workers. The 75-person company is looking to hire four employees, fewer than it sought to hire in 2021. Things are not terrible, but they're not nearly as active as they were, Mr. McElvain said. It's a very strange economy. Paramount can't say no to the man behind Yellowstone. Tony Sheridan writes most of the company's hits, giving him clout. No one on the set of Yellowstone could figure out why the show was paying a horse wrangler more, <coughs> who was more than 1,600 miles away. It was May of 2022, the Paramount... Network Western was gearing up for a fifth season that was by all accounts expected to be another hit, both for its all-powerful creator, Taylor Sheridan, and Global, Paramount Global, the media conglomerate, bankrolling its operation. <clears throat> Back in the show's production offices in Stevensville, Montana, confusing expenses were piling up, including a time card requesting more than 3000 from a wrangler named Barbara Stewart. I was surprised to see a time card for a Texas Wrangler come through last week, even though we are now shooting in Montana, Mary Jezanowski, the show's production controller, wrote to Miss Stewart, who was also <coughs> not known to be head of an am <coughs> animal wrangling on set. I know Tony Sh Sheridan's Wrangler, Miss Stewart wrote back, saying, she worked on one of his ran uh, one of his ranches and prepared his horses to be used in filming the show. She was an employee of Taylor Sheridan, paid by Yellowstone budget, caring for horses. He charges the production <coughs> to use located on a ranch where the production pays him uh, to film. These are the hallmarks of Tony Sheridan's business model. In addition to getting paid to write, produce, and sometimes direct multiple shows, including several in the Yellowstone universe, Mr. Sheridan has built a network of lucrative commercial projects that feed off them, including actor training, cowboy camps at one of his ranches, and renting herds of cattle at $25 a head. <clears throat> the model has cranked out huge hits for Paramount and has almost single-handedly driven the success of its nascent streaming service, Paramount and Cable <coughs> Channel Paramount Networks. It's also pushed costs to among the highest in Hollywood. Privately, executives and crew involved in the shows question both the amount, the total amount of spending <coughs> and where the money's going. Mr. Sheridan's explosive success has given him seemingly unlimited leverage over his production partners. 101 Studios, which writes his shows, and Paramount, which pays for them. The actor-turned-writer and ranch owner dictates where and how the shows are filmed with little pushback, according to executives and crew workers. Among his favorite locations are his own Texas ranches, where he can charge Paramount as much as $50,000 a week. <clears throat> it's a level of power unusual in the industry, even when the most successful showrunners typically don't have much control of personal venues tied to their production. Paramount and 101 Studios executive acknowledge Mr. Sheridan's shows can be costly. Episodes of Yellowstone and Prequel 1923 run at least $22 million each. 
but said they are com very comfortable with work, their working relationship. Taylor's shows are among the most successful and profitable, a Paramount spokeswoman said. On Friday, Paramount announced that season five would be the last of the original Yellowstone. The move comes after numerous clashes between the show's star, Kevin Costner, and Mr. Sheridan, people close to the show said. In its place, another chapter of the Yellowstone saga will be created, the company said. With no details were disclosed, there have been talks with actor Matthew McConaughey about taking on a starring role in the new show. Executives at 101 Studios said they work with Mr. Sheridan on finding a balance between saving money and maintaining the quality expected on his shows. They said, that said, they said the company was cost-conscious but argued Mr. Sheridan's shows, particularly the Yellowstone franchise, are worth the cost as proven by their success. <clears throat> Mr. Sheridan declined to be interviewed for this article. Speaking earlier this year at a convention for cattle owners, Mr. Sheridan said, there's nothing better than a movie company showing up and filming for about a month and paying you a bunch of money and leaving. That's the greatest deal going. Mr. Sheridan's output has proved critical for Paramount's streaming strategy. In service, Paramount Plus added nearly 10 million subscribers in the first quarter of 2022 on the back of Mr. Sheridan's Yellowstone and prequels 1883 and 1923. On Thursday, the company said it added about 4.1 million subscribers in the past quarter, bringing total subscribers to more than 60 million. <coughs> Spending focus. Internal frustration over spending on Mr. Sheridan's shows comes as Paramount is facing scrutiny from investors following a first quarter loss of $1.1 billion reported on Thursday. That included $511 million loss in its streaming business due to an increased spending on streaming content. Shares dropped more than 28%. Also for Paramount, Mr. Sheridan created Tulsa King, starring Sylvester Stallone as a New York mobster who relocates to Oklahoma, and Mayor of Kingstown, starring Jeremy Renner, as a prison bro power broker. He has at least five other shows in development under contract that runs through 2028, including Lawman, Bass Reeves, about the pioneering black U.S. Marshal, and Lioness, a CIA drama starring Nicole Kidman. The new show announced Friday will take the place of the original Yellowstone, and we'll run Paramount Network and Paramount Plus and have Yellowstone <coughs> in its title. The original Yellowstone ran Paramount Network, but reruns ran on Revival on Revival Streaming Service, NBC Universal Peacock. After several years, those rights were returned to Paramount Plus. You're listening to a reading of articles and features from the Wall Street Journal on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. <clears throat> Russian mercenary threatens troop exit. Leader of the Russian paramilitary group, Wagner, threatened to withdraw his troops from the front line in Ukraine, citing growing losses in the move that raises fresh tensions between Moscow's military leaders ahead of the expected offensive in Kiev's forces. Wagner's founder, Ivanchi, Gozin said his forces would leave their positions in the eastern Ukraine city of Bamut on May 10th, delivering an explosive-riddled broadside against Moscow's military leadership, which he accused of withholding ammunition. Shogi Gerasimov, 
Where is the ammunition? He shouted into the camera, referring to Defense Minister Sergei Shogu and General Valery Karisimov, Russ's military officer, in a video posted on his public Telegram channel. If you handed over the ammunition quota, there'd be five times fewer dead, he added, standing in a field covered in rows of dead soldiers. Wagner has spearheaded Russia's offensive in the eastern city of Balmut, which Ukrainian forces are clinging on to after months of brutal combat and have taken a heavy toll on both sides. The White House uh, estimated this week that about half the 20,000 Russian troops killed in Ukraine since December were from Wagner. <clears throat> I withdraw units of Wagner private military company because they are doomed to a senseless death without ammunition, Mr. Prigozhin said in the latter statement. Russia's defense ministry said its units were still pressing to take <clears throat> all of Bakhmut, and that Moscow's troops had destroyed a bridge crucial to the Ukrainian efforts to resupply forces. There were armament and personnel. Fighting has raged in recent days over the last road Ukraine can use to supply its forces from the West. Ukrainian officials cast doubt on Mr. Prigozhin's ultimatum. Andrei Chernik, a spokesman for Ukraine's military intelligence agency known as GUR, said Mr. Prigozhin seeking a scapegoat for failure to seize Bakhmut by May 9th, when Russia <clears throat> marks the victory of the Soviet army over the Nazi Germany in 1945. Deputy Defense Minister Hannah Maliar said Russia has deployed Wagner's soldiers from other fronts to Bakhmut in an effort to capture the remainder of the city before Victory Day. The flare-up of tensions with, within Russia's military machine over chronic supply shortages shows a spate of <clears throat> drone attacks on Russian soil. The strikes, which have targeted mainly infrastructure central for sustaining Moscow's war, war efforts such as trains, airfields, and fuel depots, have put the Kremlin on the back foot instead of what Western analysts say is the imminent Ukrainian offensive. A blaze at the Russian refinery near the border with Ukraine Friday sent plumes of smoke into the sky. Military analysts have said the string of drone strikes is likely part of Kiev's attempt to disrupt Russian logistics ahead of the planned offensive. Ukraine hasn't commented on the attacks. The cause of the explosion at the <coughs> Ilsky Refinery in Krasnodar, which sits in the southern Russia, wasn't clear. Emergency workers speaking to state news agency tests said it was a result of a drone attack. Russian state television initially blamed saboteurs. State media later said the blast was caused when the blaze from previous attack by Ukrainian drones on Thursday reignited. In the most spectacular incident, two drones exploded over the Kremlin earlier this week after Moscow said that they had been intercepted. Russia blamed Ukraine and the U.S. Both Kiev and Washington denied involvement. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov, speaking at Shanghai Cooperative Organization meeting in India, blamed the drone attack on Kiev and said 
It couldn't have been carried out without the knowledge of its masters. This past week, an airport in Russia's Bryansk region was also targeted by a drone, and two trains carrying fuel toward the front lines were derailed in the same area. UK's Ministry of Defense said a recent uptick in attacks targeting Russian railway lines in the areas bordering Ukraine had likely caused short-term localized disruption to Moscow's military movements. While the damage can be repaired quickly, the ministry said Russia's internal security forces were likely to be able to fully protect <clears throat> were unlikely to be able to fully protect Russia's rail networks from attack. Ukraine is preparing to deploy weapons and troops trained by its allies in an offensive to recapture territory occupied by Russia in the east and south of the country. A three-day curfew came into force in the southern city of Kyrgyzstan as Russian forces continued to pound the surrounding region with rockets and artillery. Three people were wounded in the shelling over the past day, said the head of Kyrgyzstan's military administration, Alexander Prudkin. Uh, Kukin, Prakudikin, <laughs> the Kyrgyzstan military, <clears throat> adding that Russian forces had f- fired hundreds of projectiles across the region. Ukrainian forces recaptured the city of Kyrgyzstan last year, but it and the surrounding areas remain within artillery range of the Russian forces that were driven back to the east bank of the Dnipro River. Local authorities have said the curfew aims to help law enforcement carry out unspecified activities. The Ukrainian military analyst said that curfew might make it easier for the Ukrainian military to move around the Russian target positions over the river. Ukraine has previously imposed curfews to clear the streets, making it easier to identify and route uh, collaborators who may be providing information to Russian forces. In the southern Zaporizhia region, Yveni <coughs> Balatitsky, the Russian-backed governor of occupied part of the region, said Friday on a telegram that residents of the 18 frontline settlements would temporarily relocate amid intensified shelling by Ukrainian troops. TikTok listed who viewed gay videos. For at least a year, some of the employees at TikTok were able to find what they described internally as a list of users who watch gay content on the popular app, a collection of information that sparked worker complaints, according to former TikTok employees. TikTok doesn't ask users to disclose their sexual orientation, but it, its catalog video use, users watched under topics such as LGBT, short for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender, the former employee said, the collection of information, which could be viewed by some employees through a dashboard, included a set of affiliated users who watched those videos on their ID numbers, they said. Other topics in the TikTok data said also included lists of users, but the former employees didn't consider these topics to be sensitive. TikTok workers in the U.S., UK and Australia in 2020 and 2021 
raised concerns about this practice to a higher level executive saying they feared employees might share the data with outside parties or that it could be used to blackmail users according to some of the former TikTok employees. Many social media ad tech companies infer traits about their users based on online behavior. They use it to select which content or ads to serve to users. Social media and ad tech industry and ad tech industry practices, however, discourage tracking potentially sensitive traits such as sexuality, according to people who work with digital information. The data can essentially create a list of vulnerable users in parts of the world where some of the LGBT people face harassment and violence. TikTok is an unusual situ situation when it comes to handling user data. <clears throat> U.S. lawmakers critical of TikTok say they fear Chinese government could force the app's owner, Beijing-based BitDance, to divulge information about the U.S. user. A spokeswoman for TikTok says TikTok hasn't been asked nor has it provided any, user, any U.S. user data to the Chinese government. The spokeswoman for TikTok said the, da <clears throat> said the dashboard that employees used to access the data on watchers of gay content was deleted in the U.S. nearly a year ago. The spokeswoman said TikTok doesn't identify potentially sensitive information such as sexual orientation of race of users based on what they watch. She also said TikTok doesn't infer such information. The data represents users' interest and isn't necessarily a sign of someone's identity, the spokeswoman said. Users who engage with the LGBT content on TikTok may not be identif may not identify as LGBT themselves, just as people who enjoy baking content but aren't bakers, the spokeswoman said. Safeguarding the privacy and security of people who use TikTok is one of our top priorities, TikTok said. Internally, some employees have argued the data was safe to collect because it didn't indicate whether users really were members of the particular group, some of the former employees of TikTok said. Other employees disagreed, saying the topics of videos a user's watch was often enough to infer aspects of their identity, particularly the topics of sexuality, the former employee said. Those employees described the data as a list of TikTok's users who are gay. The Biden administration has demanded that TikTok Chinese owners sell their app, uh, sell the, <clears throat> their stakes in the video sharing app or face a possible U.S. ban. TikTok has tried to be more transparent about handles data gathering and content moderate, modern, moderation, and TikTok built a new subsidiary to house its U.S. data that it says should eliminate the concerns of TikTok U.S. user data could be subject to Chinese law. Former TikTok employees who have worked elsewhere in the tech industry say the dashboard that's provided access to view data was accessible to more workers than is common other at tech platforms. Employees in China also had access to the data and at times controlled the permissions for who could view the information according to former employees. The TikTok spokeswoman said 
that at the time, the company had protocols to ensure data was accessed only by authorized employees, including those in China. Now, she said, TikTok stores the data in its new U.S. subsidiary and only approved employees in the unit have access to it. The Network Advertising Initiative and Industry Trade Group, which represents many players in the digital advertising technology industry, has since 2014, 2015 forbidden members from targeting people based on inferred LGBT identity. The trade group feared that targeting advertising had the power to inadvertently out a young person to their parents or peers on shared computers. China's foreign ministry has criticized U.S. for targeting TikTok and said Beijing would never require companies to illegally gather data and intelligence from overseas. At TikTok, the company organizes all videos its users post into the web of clusters sorted by topics, the former TikTok employee said. The clusters span the universe of TikTok videos, including ones named mainstream female, alt-female, southeastern black male, coastal white-collar male. Each cluster includes subgroups. For alt-male, those included tattoos and some lesbian content as Portland. TikTok executives became concerned that this data was too widely available within the company, and in 2021, TikTok restricted access to the dashboard, according to some of the former employees. Some workers also grew uneasy with how TikTok employees were described, describing the clusters. They debated changing the names, according to some of the former employees. TikTok still collects data about the types of videos on the app and users at users who watched them, but in 2021 adopted to remove the names of the clusters and replace them with numbers. You're listening to a reading of articles and features from the Wall Street Journal on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Who declares pandemic emergency is over? The World Health Organization declared an end to the COVID-19 emergency signaling that one of the most deadly and economically devastating pandemics in modern history is receding as the disease that caused it becomes a routine illness. COVID-19 is here to stay, but the pandemic has been in a downward trend for more than a year because people around the world have built up immunity, immunity to the virus, the World Health Organization said on Friday. Mortality has decreased and there is less pressure on health systems. The trends have enabled most countries to return to pre-pandemic life, even as COVID-19 continues to spread. It's therefore with great hope that I declare COVID-19 over the global health emergency, said WHO Director General Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus. Ghebreyesus. It's, mo- it's a moment for celebration and reflection, Dr. Tedros said. The world sacrificed and built new systems and technologies to fight the virus, but a lack of global coordination, equity, and solidarity meant that resources weren't deployed to the fullest potential and lives were lost. It shouldn't have been, he said. COVID has changed our world and has changed us, Dr. Tedros said. If we all go back to how things were before 
COVID-19, we will have failed to learn our lessons. We will have failed future generations. This experience must change us all for the better. Using a provision in the international health regulations that has never been used before, Dr. Tedros said that he would establish a committee to develop guidance for countries to manage COVID-19 in the long term. The virus is still a threat, he said, and the risk of new variants and surges in cases and deaths remain. The end of the emergency doesn't trigger changes in government funding or services, said Lawrence Gaston, facility director of O'Neill Institute for National and Global Health Law at Georgetown University, who advised, who has advised the WHO. But it marks a long-awaited milestone, the biggest sign yet that the pandemic is reaching a new stage after more than three years of tragedy and deprivation. The global public and political leaders have long moved on, Dr. Gostin said. Much of the world's population has been sickened by the virus that was discovered spreading in Wuhan, China in 2019. More than 6.9 million people have died globally, according to the World Health Organization. In the U.S. alone, the death toll is more than 1.1 million, according to Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And many others have lingering health problems after infection. The pandemic has shattered an illusion of that humanity has control over the environment. It's wrong, significant, often wrenching changes in science, politics, and international relations, as well as lessons for global health systems. Researchers and public health officials established global disease surveillance capabilities during the past three years that can be used for future disease monitoring including wastewater surveillance and gnome sequencing. Vaccines can be developed faster than ever. People can test themselves for COVID-19 at home and are more familiar with scientific concepts such as mRNA and PCR testing. The pandemic has also proved how poorly prepared the world was to stop the spread of respiratory disease or to protect the infirm. Governments and medical providers are less equipped in many ways to fight disease threats than they were before the pandemic. People have tried public measures such as masks. Hospitals, public health organizations have lost staff to burnout and the health misinformation is abundant. The public's trust in data and science and vaccines has taken a hit. And it's been very polarized, says Dr. Jennifer Cates, a senior vice president at the Kaiser Family Foundation. <clears throat> it raises the risk of what happens when there's another pandemic. The World Health Organization said it would work with countries to update their preparedness for future pandemics, starting with respiratory virus such as influenza. <clears throat> the new COVID-19 variant called XBB-1-16 drove a recent surge in cases in India and is spreading in at least 30 other countries, including the U.S., where it makes up an estimated 12% of cases. The World Health Organization designated the highly transmissible XBB-1-16 variant of interest in April. COVID-19 still takes a heavy toll. More than 17,000 deaths were reported globally in the past month, according to the World Health Organization. There are about 1,050 reported COVID-related deaths in the U.S. in the week ended in April of 20. April 26, federal data show. Most of those dying are elderly and have conditions that weaken their immune systems. 
COVID-19 was the fourth leading cause of death in the U.S. in 2022, behind heart disease, cancer, and unintentional injuries, including overdoses, according to the preliminary CDC data. This was the third leading cause of death in 2020. In 2021, the agency said the U.S. ended its COVID-19 national emergency in April and its public health emergency will be lifted in May 11th. This means full insurance coverage for COVID-19 tests won't be mandatory in many cases, and the CDC won't have the power to collect some tests and vaccination data. People can get free vaccines and treatments until the government stockpile runs out. Insurers will pick up some costs, and the Biden administration has designed a safety net program to maintain access for uninsured people. Some states have started removing people from Medicaid after a provision to keep people continuously enrolled was dropped early. The Biden administration is investing $5 billion to spend, to, I'm sorry, to speed development of more effective vaccines and treatments for the coronaviruses, including nasal vaccines and universal coronal, coronavirus vaccine. Now in the exchange section, what's behind Warren Buffett's big bets? In about face, Berkshire Hathaway has amassed a stake in two oil companies valued at $40 billion. Not long ago, Warren Buffett seemed like he was mostly done with oil stocks. The renowned investor lost big on the oil company investment in 20 in 2008 and bailed out of another in 2014. He assured his shareholders he had learned his lesson. Then last year, Mr. Buffett built up fresh $40 billion bet. In this weekend's annual gathering of shareholders at his company, Berkshire Hathaway, Mr. Buffett is, Buffett is certain to face questions about his drastic about-face. Investors hope Mr. Buffett and his lieutenants outline his thinking that led them to build massive stake in two of the Permian, the Permian Basin's biggest producers and explain what they think the future looks like for oil and the companies that drill for it. <clears throat> and they can, and, and can he explain what's different this time around? Mr. Buffett spent 2008 amassing a sizable stake in oil producer Concoa Phillips. Concono Phillips. When the global recession hit, oil prices along with the Concono Phillips stock price came crashing down. Mr. Berkshire had lost had his worst year since Mr. Buffett took over the company in the 60s. So far, I have been dead wrong, Mr. Buffett. Berkshire Hathaway's chairman and chief executive lamented to his shareholders in early 2009. Berkshire tried again. It invested in ExxonMobil several times over the following years, only to dump the entirety of the stake in 2014 when oil prices began what will wind to be one of their worst pullbacks in modern history. We will not be buying very often oil and gas stocks, Mr. Buffett said at Berkshire's 2015 shareholder meeting. <clears throat> the accidental petroleum caught Mr. Buffett's eye. Accidental CEO Vicki Hollum was in her Jeep Wrangler in March 2022 on her way to watch a college baseball game. Accidental shares had been ripping higher but no one knew why. Her phone rang. It was about to get, and she was about to get the answer. Vicki, this is Warren. 
Mr. Buffett said, according to an account of the conversation Mrs. Hollum shared at a symposium dinner in November, we just bought 10% of your company. That call marked the beginning of the big binge on oil stocks from Berkshire. Mr. Buffett's company went back to buy more Occidental shares later that month, in May and in June. Even as oil prices fell from a peak, Berkshire kept buying, making additional investments in July, August, September, and March of 2023. It also increased its stake in much larger Occidental rival Chevron in the first three quarters of the year. After a flurry of investments over the past year, Berkshire has become the biggest shareholder in both Occidental and Chevron. Energy shares have made up about 14% of Berkshire's stock portfolio at the end of 2022, highest percentage going back to at least 2000, according to the analysis of company filings. Mr. Buffett's followers may get some more clarity on Berkshire's investments in the energy industry on Saturday when he and his right-hand man, Vince Vice Chairman Charlie Munger, take the stage at the company's annual meeting. Greg Abel, Mr. Buffett's, Mr. Buffett's designated successor, and Anjit Jain, the head of Berkshire's insurance operations, are also to field questions from the audience at the meeting. It's been a busy year for Mr. Buffett. The 92-year-old flew to Japan in April to meet with the heads of the five trading houses that Berkshire has invested in. His company also completed its biggest deal since 2016 in October when it finished acquiring insurer Allegheny, Allegheny, which went on buying Spree in the stock market, spending a record 68 billion purchasing stocks in 2022. Berkshire's investments in Occidental and Chevron stand out as some of Mr. Buffett's biggest bets during the stretch. Occidental shares have climbed 8.1% since Berkshire first disclosed its stake in the company in March 2022. Chevron shares have risen three-tenths of a percent since Berkshire disclosed significantly increasing its stake in April of 22. The way they're gone in the energy business, you'd think some boom era is going on, says Cole Schmid, CEO and portfolio manager of Schmid Capital Management, which owns Berkshire shares. That hasn't been the case, making it all more striking that Mr. Buffett, one of the most successful investors of all time, has chosen to this moment to embrace oil stocks. U.S. crude oil prices have fallen to around $71 a barrel after surging $130 a barrel last year following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Society's attitude toward fossil fuels has also changed over years. Businesses have come under growing pressure to rein in their carbon emissions. At Berkshire, shareholders, including the California Public Employees Retirement System, have put forward a resolution demanding the company assess and disclose the risks it faces from climate change and transition to cheap to clean energy. Shareholders will vote on the proposal, which is similar to proposals put forward in previous years that were soundly defeated at the company's meeting Saturday. Perhaps the most surprising aspect of Mr. Buffett's investment is the energy stocks have mostly been money-losing investments in recent years. Boom and bust cycles, waves of bankruptcies, and worries about future of fossil fuels have contributed to the S&P 500 energy sector significantly underperforming in the broader market since oil prices hit their all-time high in 2008. 
there's a huge spread between what they've in invested in and what everyone else is buying, Mr. Schmeed said of <coughs> Messenger, uh, Messengers Buffett and Munger. Why then has Berkshire made such a big push into energy stock? The simple answer, according to analysts and investors who have followed Mr. Buffett over the years, the investor seems firmly to believe, even as growing number of companies set ambitious goals to reduce their carbon emissions, the world will continue to need oil, lots of oil. That should make it commonly, that should make it a commodity that companies like Occidental and Chevron can't profit from selling for years to come. The simple answer, according to analysts, <coughs> For years, I suspect some of it may be connected to a view that transmission away from fossil fuels will take longer than the market expects, said Bill Stone, chief investment officer at Green Glenview Trust, a Berkshire shareholder. Mr. Buffett himself remarked in 2022 that the U.S. doesn't didn't look like a it was close to moving away from oil entirely. He declined to comment for this article. If we were to try to change over in three years or five years, nobody knows what would happen, but the odds that it would work well are extremely low. It seems to me, he said at a Berkshire Hathaway shareholder meeting last year. You're listening to a reading of articles and features from the Wall Street Journal on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Critics of the energy industry have suggested that anybody who produced a barrel of oil was, some uncle, was something terrible, Mr. Buffett said. Indeed, Berkshire itself faced an ire of some shareholders in 20, 2007 for an investment in petroleum China. The Chinese oil producer parent company was accused of having close ties to Sudan government during the Darfur genocide, which began in 2003. Later in 2007, Berkshire disclosed it had dissolved the entirety of its stake, although Mr. Buffett described the move, which netted him a profit of $3.5 billion to Fox Business Network, as being 100% a decision based on valuation. Despite some of the people's moral judgments about fossil fuels, the fact of the matter is the U.S. would grind it to a halt we'll grind to a halt without it, Mr. Buffett said in a 2022 shareholder meeting. I mean, just try doing without 11 million barrels a day and see what happens tomorrow, he said. Mr. Berkshire's investments in energy the past year make it clear that as technology companies have grown more and more dominant in the stock market, Mr. Buffett still appreciates the old economy business, said James Shanahan, a senior equity research analyst at Edward Jones who covers Berkshire. Mr. Buffett didn't elaborate on the reason for his Occidental and Chevron investments in his most recent direct communication to shareholders in his annual letter, which he released in late February. Investors have followed <coughs> Messenger Buffett and Munger for years, say the two men are averse to risk-taking. There's another reason oil companies might seem like an annual investment for Berkshire. After all, the company's profits are dependent on the price of oil, which is in turn affected by unpredictable factors like the pace of economic growth, the speed at which companies drill for and produce oil, and the geopolitical shocks 
that might affect the supply of oil around the world. Yeah, Mr. Buffett doesn't seem to be counting on oil heading into this, heading to sky high levels. Mrs. McCollum, Mrs. Malum, Malum says she doesn't know the price of oil next year. Nobody does, Mr. Buffett said at the Berkshire 2022 shareholder meeting. Instead, he may be wagering that oil prices will stay within a certain range that makes profits possible for oil companies, said Monish Pabrai, founder of the Pabrai Investment Funds, a Berkshire shareholder who met Mr. Buffett in 2008 after winning a dinner <coughs> with the famed investor at a charity auction. Many oil companies have said they can be profitable with oil prices trading far below current levels thanks to advances in technology and have made it easier for companies to extract oil, even in environments that have historically been tougher to operate in. Occidental, for instance, has said it can turn a profit with oil as low as $40 a barrel. Let's say, for example, he has a view that in 10 years, a oil prices will range from $60 to $150 a barrel, Pabri said. As long as they mostly stay within that range, Berkshire stock investment would likely pay off, or at least return to more than Berkshire was able to pay to get them. Putting the same money in the U.S. Treasury notes, he said. A 10-year U.S. Treasury note has a yield of 3.445% Friday. Another likely selling point, both Occidental and Chevron have dominant presence on the Permian Basin. The region spinning West spanning West Texas to southeastern New Mexico is one of the most prolific oil fields in the world accounting for roughly 43% of the U.S. crude oil production in June of 2022, according to U.S. Energy Information Administration. Asked whether Berkshire was likely to hold on to its positions in Occidental and Chevron over the long run, Mr. Munger said at the question and answer session in February that having a big position in Petroleum Permian Basin Though these two company, though those two companies is likely to be a pretty good long-term hold. Mr. Munger added that he admires both companies. What's also clear is that in the case of Occidental, Miss Holub has won Mr. Buffett's confidence. While in the past many oil companies have made the mistake of increasing production as soon as oil prices have jumped higher. Mrs. Holub has spent the year following the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic focused on paying down Occidental's debt load. She, she's basically like Buffett in terms of thinking about returning cash to shareholders, Mr. Pabri said. Occidental had also been with Mr. Buffett's Blessings invested more than a billion in carbon capture process that involves using fans to pull massive amounts of carbon dioxide out of the air and then funneling it deep underground. Though the technology is still evolving, the company says it will help it reach its goal of net zero emissions in 2050, which allows it to keep investors in oil extraction. That may help explain why Berkshire went from owning 
none of Oxenow's common stock and becoming its largest shareholder in the span of just a couple of weeks in 2022. Mr. Buffett felt like he could make an investment like that because he had high level of confidence in her, Mr. Schmid said. Ms. Ms. Holub just gets it. She's far and away the most successful oil exec I've ever met, he added. <clears throat> Mr. Buffett and Mr. Munger have built Berkshire for a long haul, Mr. Pabry said. When you think about the railroad 100 years from now, it'll still be cranking, cranking he said, referring to Bankshire's BNSF railroad business. The utilities, they're going to be around for a long time, he said, referring to Berkshire Hathaway Energy. It makes sense then that Berkshire stock portfolio would include oil companies such as Buffett, which messengers Buffett and Munger seem to believe will continue churning out profits for years to come. We're not going to chase the latest fad, Mr. Probery said. They're as much as possible looking at no-brainers. Blue check is polarizing symbol of Musk's tenure. LM Musk's move to upend Twitter's longstanding verification system is turning the platform's iconic blue check marks into a polarizing symbol of his leadership for some of Twitter's most prominent users. In the two weeks since Twitter began removing check marks from legacy verified users, reactions have ranged from some users saying they are happy to say goodbye to the check marks and mocking those who purchased them to others saying the subscription features are worth buying. Instead of the old system in which Twitter verified accounts is authentic or notable, the platform is selling the check marks through its subscription service, Twitter Blue. Twitter didn't previously include verification as part of its subscription service, but began doing so after Mr. Musk's takeover. An estimated hundred of thousands of users have subscribed for checks and other features. Others, including some celebrities, have taken to Twitter to disavow the verification changes. Dear Ed, Elon Musk, I'm sorry your fancy rocket exploded in spectacular fashion. I'm certain you'll build on even bigger. <laughs> you'll build on even bigger and more exploding one. Now, may I please have my blue check back, said actor Charlie Sheen, who has more than 10 million Twitter followers. In a tweet referencing Musk's SpaceX Starship test flight two weeks ago, Mr. Sheen soon got his wish, but his checkmark reappeared. Within days, removing many legacy checkmarks, the company appeared practically to partially backtrack. Check marks reappeared in many high profile accounts, even for some who said they aren't paying. That led to the spectacle of some Twitter's most famous users taking to the platform to reject the markers. Matt Mulwig, founder and CEO of Automatic, the company behind the web publishing and e-commerce platforms such as blogging site Tumblr, tweeted that he paid for Twitter Blue in part because he wants to see subscription models work for social networks. Author Stephen King, who has more than 7 million Twitter followers, said he hadn't subscribed to Twitter Blue. I think Mr. Moss should 
Take his blue check to charity, he tweeted. Pop star Lil Nas X, who has 8 million followers, tweeted, On my soul, I didn't pay Twitter blue. You feel my wrath, Tesla man. Others who said they weren't paying for the check marks range from Alyssa Milano to author Neil Gaiman in Auschwitz-Birkenau State Museum. Twitter responded to requests for comment from the auto reply of a poop emoji. Mr. Musk tweeted he is personally paying for some celebrity subscriptions. TV journalist Brittany, Brianna Whitney said she subscribed to Twitter Blue well before Mr. Musk's takeover because she wanted to post longer videos. I needed the longer vid to post my news story, especially true crime, she tweeted. So that's why I still have a blue check. No other reason. Many high-profile figures remain on Twitter, though some, including Chrissy Teigen and Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Democrat from New York, recently created accounts on fledging Twitter competitor Blue Sky. Twitter has proposed other changes that have frustrated some users, including raising prices for access of its application, programming interface, or API, which lets developers begin uh, build use, tools using Twitter data. You've been listening to a reading of articles and features from the May 6th and 7th issue of the Wall Street Journal. We read from the Wall Street Journal every Monday and Thursday at 11 p.m. Your reader has been Ron Bickelman. Thank you for listening.